This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode 38, with guest Sass Petherick. Any links and resources you hear in this podcast can be found at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 38. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Andrea Owen here. Very excited to bring you episode 38 with our guest, Sass. And I am here to tell you a little bit about her before we jump into the episode. Sass Petherick shows you how to get more love, money, and joy by changing how you think. Sass is an in-demand certified coach and is the creator of Rethink Group Coaching Programs. She's been described as equal parts laughing Buddha and fiery femme, salty sailor, and foxy Minx. Sass's energy, smarts, humor, and intuition guide every transformational coaching session and sold-out retreat. Find out how to amplify your life with curiosity and kindness at sasspetherick.com. And here we go. Hello there, ass kickers. Welcome to another installment of the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast and uh, episode 38 already and I'm here with the amazing ginger Sass Petherick and am am I saying that correctly? You sure are. Okay good because that's why I've been saying it. (laughs) (laughs) That would have felt like an (laughs) a-hole. No no it's all good all good. Okay good. A Kiwi living in London uh, and I'm super glad to have you. Yeah it's so cool to be here. Yeah. I am fascinated with with you and what you do. And, and you guys, you have to head on over to her blog. I mean, you could go there now while you're listening to this podcast, unless you're driving, of course. And 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 read some of Sass's work. I mean, I was just talking to her before we started the recording. I'm like, have you thought about writing a book? Because she's your your writing is so entertaining and it just brings the reader in. And that is a gift. And I applaud you for that. Well, thanks, honey, because you are already um, a, an official writer, right? You've got the, really. the stamp of approval <laughs> <laughs> with your book, which I love. And um, yeah, it's a it's a dream of of mine. It's on the back burner. Well, Sass was telling me before the recording, and as you guys heard in her bio, that she's She's doing work um, to get her PhD. So there's a, I mean, you are a writer. If you, I mean, even a master's degree, college, you're a writer. You write a lot. So mm. yeah. Power. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's jump in. I am fascinated with your work. And again, I spent a lot of time on your blog and I love, I love what you do. I mean, I love coaching, but you do something really specific and you talk a lot about what you call thinking on purpose. Mm. And, you know, I think a lot of people listening, we just are like, well, my thoughts are my thoughts and I'm already 30 something, 40 something years old. So I can't think on purpose. So can you talk, can you talk to people like what they might be doing where they aren't thinking on purpose? And maybe if they do start thinking on purpose, what might their life look like? And basically, what is it? Yeah, sure. Um, well, for me, uh, thinking on purpose when, and this was me a few years, just a few years ago. Um, when I'm, when I didn't know how to think on purpose, I just believed all my thoughts. Mm -hmm. I just believed everything I thought was true. And I couldn't make the distinction between a fact, something that was true and a story that I was just making up about something. 
Um, and I am, uh, you know, a, a recovering people pleaser. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and I had a very busy job and I had a big team that I was looking after back when I was a corporateer. And, um, and I found that I was just always believing all the thoughts about what I wasn't doing enough of, what I was uh, not able to create or to lead on, um, all of my thoughts about the areas of my life that I was doing in a really haphazard or crap way. I just believed that that was true. Mm-hmm. And so I ne- it never occurred to me that maybe they were just inherited voices, inherited beliefs, things that I just never questioned, um, or that they were just ways that my mind was used to thinking. Um, And when I started discovering um, like cognitive work and cognitive coaching is what I I do, I realized that I'm not actually my thoughts. I'm thinking my thoughts. A few years ago, I was someone who did not think on purpose at all. I just believed all of my thoughts. Uh, I couldn't distinguish between a fact and a story that I had just made up about something. So I kind of lived believing all my assumptions and expectations uh, and ideas were true. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it was like crazy town in my head. And I was the mayoress. And it was um, really exhausting, right? Because you can't, um, when you believe all your thoughts are true, it's like you're kind of reacting all the time to the noise in your mind. It's like damage control. (laughs) Yeah. And and that was how I lived my life. And I found it really difficult to, to kind of access what I was feeling even because I just seemed to be in a constant state of reacting to whatever drama was going on in my mind. Um, and it didn't help that I was probably about 50 pounds overweight and drinking a lot Mm. to kind of avoid having to deal with all the crap that was in my mind. Um, so I was like the poster girl for craziness, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. but very high functioning, which is never a good thing. I found. I think that's um, a lot of my listeners. So yes, they're feeling high functioning, crazy people. Yeah, yeah, I like that I have term. Found my people. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and it's it was just a thing to do, right? To just really think all kinds of crazy stuff was true, and so like criticism for example would really throw me like if anyone um and I had I had quite a big job I worked in a in a corporate um organization in London and financial services I had a big team I had lots of expectations of me and if I was criticized in any way I would be like on the surface probably seem to wash off me inside I was just like the six-year-old girl crumbling you know swinging my legs on the big chair you know just feeling like I didn't belong there and um that I was basically crap at everything um so I had this kind of like crippling um sabotage voice in my mind the whole time um and I just believed those thoughts and those thoughts weren't uh, weren't thoughts that I had created for myself. They were, they were thoughts that I had heard, um, from my childhood, from my family, from, um, kids as I was growing up. I was bullied as a teenager. Um, you know, I always kind of had these just negative folks in my life and I just never thought that I could question what they were saying. And so there, um, if you hear something often enough and you believe it, it becomes a kind of operating way you know it's it's how you show up in the world is you just believe that that stuff's true and when I started um 
I, I worked with a coach myself and I found that what I was able to start to, and this was after a period of like stress burnout where I really lost my shit. And, mm-hmm. um, and I found that actually I didn't have to believe all of my thoughts. I could, um, I could actually start to see that I wasn't my thoughts. I was thinking my thoughts. And if that were true, there was a gap between me and all the crazy stuff in my head. And when I started to choose the thoughts that I wanted to think, um, things started to really change for me. Like I was able to just see that thoughts were not necessarily true things. They were just ideas. And whatever I gave my energy to, I would create evidence for. And so I could see that if I started to create evidence and find things that were true about thoughts that served me, things really started to move. And within a couple of years, I was able to let go of my ambition in my corporate job. It just didn't seem important anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was able to let go of the idea that Um, you really can find work that is meaningful and feels really true and aligned to who you really are Um, because I was able to find that out by not believing all the noise in my mind. Underneath that was who I really was. And so I I found coaching and I found um, my real real purpose. Uh, And and that kind of idea of just choosing the thoughts that I want to think and believe and creating evidence that they are true, it's helped me to create a life that is unrecognizable to the me three, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of about time, <laughs> you know, like I sort of feel like the first 40 years of my life were very much about um, grief and loss and um, and just crappy stuff happening a lot of the time. I had a series of really bad relationships. My mum died really suddenly. Um, you know, I've had a really difficult relationships with my family, uh, moving countries a couple of times didn't help. And, you know, it's been this kind of nonstop sort of merry-go-round of drama that is just quiet now. Hmm. And now I get to choose what I want to think, how I want to engage with the world and who I want to show up as. It's amazingly freeing. That's fascinating because as I'm hearing you explain it, and it sounds exactly like the work that I do, I just call it something else. So I call it, well, you know, what a coincidence. We're both coaches. Uh, (laughs) Like I'm shocked. But it's, I call it, you know, managing your inner critic, managing your inner gremlins. And I love that you say, you said in there that after a couple of years, because I think a big misconception is, is that we learn something, you know, we learn these tools, whether we get them from a free ebook that we download, we go to a seminar, we listen to a podcast episode, or we work with a coach and we are, we're looking, I think many people, many women look for that magic pill, look for that magic tool that's going to quote unquote fix them. And if I'm understanding you correctly, because this is what I preach and I'm never wrong. So <laughs> I, that this is a practice and that this is something that you have utilized in your, in your world and in, in your head and that you continue to work on, on a pretty regular basis. Is that correct? Oh, oh yeah, completely. And I think, um, you know, there, there is a world of difference between intellectually understanding an idea Mm-hmm. and practicing it in your life, like applying it to your life and doing it imperfectly yes. and seeing all the obstacles that come up and still keeping going. Yeah. Like just making that commitment to yourself is um, 
it's not something that everyone does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, it's and a it, commitment, isn't it? Yeah, and and I think um, <laughs> you know, I'm I've never been very good at commitment, but I found that it just feels so freaking good to yeah. not be um, constantly feeling like you're a victim of your own thoughts. Right. And like, then in turn, to really grab that power back is so, it feels so good. You don't want to stop once you start. Exactly. I love the way that you said that. And it to me, it feels like once I started to manage this voice and what you call like befriend your thoughts, it I felt like I was no longer a victim to my circumstances anymore. It was like I turned the mirror on myself and was like, oh, it's so this shit that I'm in, you know, whether it's, a, you know, for me, it was like a really big breakup and toxic relationships. I'm like, okay, so this really like. To me, it was taking, I call it radical responsibility for my life. And it felt powerful. Like you just said, like, oh my God, like I'm in charge of this. I can, I can do this. It was scary as all hell. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing. Like I I was never really a fan of growing up. Like the idea of being a responsible adult never really turned me on It never appeals to me even today. (laughs) I'm not a fan. But, (laughs) but once I kind of reframed the idea of responsibility, like it, it changed how I showed up because Mm -hmm. I was able to see that actually, yeah, all the circumstances that are in my life, um, I get to choose to how I want to respond. I'm able to respond, you know, in in a way that feels good to me. Mm -hmm. And that was the real shift for me was knowing that, you know, I could blame everyone else or I could make it that someone else had done something or, that it was unfair, that the things that were going on were not cool with me. But that didn't change that they were still happening, right? Right, right. <laughs> and that I had very little control, as we all do, have very little control over the, the circumstances and the people outside of us. Mm-hmm. So um, I fought against that for a really long time. And just accepting reality is like where peace lies, yeah. you know, and knowing that it is all on you. Your life is on you. It's your mm-hmm. sacred responsibility. And knowing that can feel overwhelming and like, oh, great. So now you're telling me that not only is it shit, it's my fault. It's like, well, no, but it is It is all within you to change it and to create what you do want. To create what you want. Yep, for yep. sure. And, you know, I hear from a, from a lot of my clients, they're like, okay, Andrea, it makes sense to me, this whole concept of the inner critic. And I, I know that this isn't the truth, but... I think that where a lot of people struggle, including clients that I've had have said like, how, how do I do this? Like how Mm. do they want it from a practical standpoint? So can you give us like your one to three minute version of, of what that looks like or how you would, how you would, um, give us an example or break it, how you would break it down for a client? Yeah, sure. Well, I think most of us grow up believing that the circumstances of our lives um, create our feelings. So someone will say or do something and that makes us feel something. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that there is a step missing in there. Um, I think that our feelings are created by what we're thinking. So whatever um, is happening outside in the world, outside of us, we interpret that with a thought. And whatever we're thinking about it, we have a feeling about it. And uh, usually those thoughts are kind of default thoughts. They're, they're automatic thoughts that we've thought for most of our lives. And so we don't question them. When you start wrangling your thoughts, which is what 
I, I kind of coach on is you start to realize that actually if you start from a place of how do I want to feel about this circumstance and what is the thought that would support me to feel that, you can actually start from a different place. So you're not... Um, you're not giving your power to the circumstance. The circumstance never has to change. Um, and an example I can use on this is um, for um, many years when I first met my husband, he, um, my main way of showing my love for him was to be affectionate. Mm-hmm. And it would never occur to him to be affectionate. Like <laughs> it was just not in his makeup. And um, for, ye- for the first couple of years of our relationship, Every time he did not show me affection, I would like notch it up. I would measure that. I would mm-hmm. notice it. And I would think that it would make me feel unloved and uncherished and like I didn't matter to him and all of this crazy shit. And so I would be thinking the thoughts, um, oh, it's only a matter of time before he leaves. That was my default thought. He must be having an affair. Yeah. He must <laughs> be having an affair. He must be having um, that. Yeah. And just, I just had all these crazy ideas about what it meant, what that circumstance that my husband is not naturally affectionate, what that meant. And when I actually, you know, kind of broke down and showed him the crazy and said, why are you not cuddling me on a regular basis? He was like, dude, you know, remember when I like came and rescued you because your tire was flat in that rainy night? Um, you know, remember when I showed up all the times I said I was going to, you know, he, he, he's, his way of showing his love to me was demonstrating it, mm-hmm. right? He would just do really practical stuff. He's the guy you call when stuff happens and he is always there. He's never, ever, you know, kind of reneged on his word. That's how he shows his love for me. That's mm-hmm. how he learned how to do that. And once we had this conversation about it, he was like, I had, well, A, I had no idea that this was that important to you. Um, but also romance for him meant very different things. And so I was able to kind of think, okay, how do I really want to feel about this man? You know, and how I wanted to feel was cherished and loved and adored and desired. And so I decided I was going to change my thought to this man adores me. And what I did was look for evidence that that new thought was true. Mm-hmm. And so I was suddenly noticing Every single night since, you know, he has moved in to, and we've lived together for nearly seven years now, um, every single week he has put the rubbish out because putting rubbish out, the trash makes me gag, right? Okay. So he noticed that and said, dude, I'll do that for you. It's cool. He's done that for seven years without me even noticing that he was doing it. Like it just became a thing I took for granted. Uh-huh. And so I started noticing all these little things, the way that, you know, he – um he looks after, you know, we, we've got a couple of cats that are really important to us. He looks after them the way he shows affection to me in a way that is good, feels good to him. You know, he's, we share all the chores. There's never, we don't argue about housework. All of that sort of stuff I suddenly started noticing because I believed the thought, this man adores me. Hmm. And it revolutionized our relationship because I was able to totally see it from his perspective, but also not put unrealistic expectations that he had to change to make change as a human being to live up to the expectations you made. Yeah. So it it was a really, um, really big thing to notice. And it means that, you know, I get to, 
I get to feel how I want to feel without him having to change, without the circumstance having to change. Um, I've just changed my thought and I get to access all the feelings that I want. So that's kind of how mm-hmm. I teach it. Like you start from, you know, what is your current thought about the circumstance and how, and, and how do you feel about that? And when you feel um, really crappy, you act crappy. Yeah. <laughs> and that creates crappy results creates in your life. Yep. So yeah. if you if you start from how do I want to feel about the circumstance, what thoughts would it best serve me to feel that way? And how do I want to act when I feel that way? Can I notice a whole lot of evidence that my new thought is true? Because our thinking minds and, and um, one of my um, my favorite coaches, Brooke Castillo, she teaches that you're... Oh, she's been on my podcast. She's a friend of mine. Uh, yeah, she's, she's amazing. very, very cool. I love love what she teaches. And... Um, and she says, like, an unsupervised mind is like a toddler with a knife. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and that's so true, right? So if you are going to, if you're going to start thinking on purpose, you need to actually start choosing the thoughts you want to think and um, creating evidence that those thoughts are true so that your mind starts to replace your default thoughts with new thoughts that do serve you. Yeah, I love that. Uh, if you guys, if you guys are uh, listening and you can get on the web, all the links, um, back, you know, back to Sass's website are at your kickass life forward slash three, eight. And I, I love that you, I, I do something similar with my husband or my relationship too, that that's helped me a lot. But while you were saying all that and you, you know, you're saying the word evidence and, and I, I teach this as well. I, I just have different language around it, but it reminds me of when you're listening to like a courtroom um, trial and you have already kind of made up your mind about someone that's um, maybe like on the defense about a crime that's been committed. And you're like, no way this person's guilty. I know it. And then you hear the lawyer that has gathered evidence (laughs) to defend his client. And then you're kind of like, huh, well, it could be totally different. So that reminds me of this, you know, really, because yeah. it's all about the evidence and which one are you going to choose to look at the most? Yeah, because wherever you wherever you put your energy, like you can find evidence for that. Like mm-hmm. you could and um, a friend of mine, um, her and her nephew play this game called Banana, where every time you when you're on the motorway, um, when you're driving, Whenever you see a yellow car, you yell banana. That's the game. Mm-hmm. It's really simple. Kids love it. We do it. that same thing, but we just um, yell yeah. out yellow car. That's so yeah. funny. And sometimes so, we yell out yellow pants. Like if we yeah. see that, you get bonus points. And the thing is, like, <laughs> you would not think that there are that many yellow vehicles on the road, right? It's not, it's not an attractive color. It is amazing to me, like, how many yellow cars there mm-hmm. are in the world. And um, every person under the age of seven that I've taught this game to um, reminds me every time I see them, you know, that there are lots and lots of yellow cars on the road. And the thing is that, you know, you notice that. You notice the things that you look for. That's how mindfulness works, you know. It's yes. like wherever you put your attention, you will find that that is true. Yeah. So that's what, you know, listeners, those of you listening right now, that's your challenge for for this week is to really focus on what do you want to put your energy on? Because I have said this a million times, girls, you know, you've been listening to this podcast that what you choose to put your focus on, you're going to, you're going to see the most of you're going to get it back. So how about let's practice not focusing on the things that are not working. That was a double negative, I think. So if you want to have more money, when you pull out all your bills, your credit card bills, stop stressing out about those, you know what I do, what I started doing when it came to money and 
because I have student loan debt, which I don't know if you can relate, Sass, considering the education that you have, but (laughs) (laughs) that would stress me out. And so instead, now when I open the bill, I look at the balance. Sometimes I don't even look at it, but I say a little prayer of gratitude. I'm so grateful that I was able to get these loans to be able to get the education that I had. I'm so grateful for this credit card debt because there was a time in my life when I needed that credit card. And I'm not going to focus on the purchases that I made that I didn't need and then beat myself up about that because that makes me feel like shit. Yeah. So it's a choice. Yeah. Well, it is a choice. And I think, you know, we are really, um, most of us are kind of, uh, and I don't know if, if this is true for you, but it's almost like if it's bad news, it's easier to believe. <laughs> so, Maybe. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think, you know, we, we sort of hesitate to look for the good stuff because it's almost like, yeah, well, then you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And And I guess, you know, part of this work, I think, is trusting yourself, like really knowing that you've got your own back. Yeah. And being kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. How amazing are you to have gone and got credit card debt and been able to support yourself in whatever way you needed to? Yeah. And what a gift that is. You know, yeah. what a, what an awesome thing to teach your daughter. Hey, you know what? Mum did this. You know, mum mum was able to take care of herself. I mean, that's an amazing thing to do. Yeah. And I, and I guess you know the thing is that you can always find the negative to it. But why identify with that? Why make that part of your um, part of your makeup because mm-hmm. it's absolutely within your power to to decide differently. Yeah, it's interesting. It, kind of off topic, but very similarly related is um, you know I do a lot of work, follow the work of Brene Brown, and, and do her work in my practice, and she talks about foreboding joy, and yeah. that we have a really hard time leaning into joy. And she actually claims that in her research, it is the hardest emotion to feel oh, because yeah. it's it's feeling really vulnerable and we're so afraid, like you said, the other shoe dropping and when is it going to be taken away from us? I can't deal with that pain of my marriage falling apart. So I'm just not going to lean into this. It's gratitude. mm, I don't, I don't think so. It's just too, it it hurts too much. It's going to hurt too much. So I think that might be where it comes from. um, I love Brene's, um, quote that she uses about, you know, being in there in the arena and not mm-hmm. worrying about who's in the stands judging. Yeah. Uh, and you know, for many, many years I was in, I was the person in the stands judging, totally yeah. hold my hand up to that. I, I, I felt like it was so much easier to, um, to not step up, like to just be the person who had the snarky sense of humor and, um, you know, kept kept that up as a real part of my identity that mm-hmm. was almost like a, a a way of keeping people uh, um, apart from me of pushing people away um so i would i would always be the first person to kind of say the thing that people didn't want to hear you know mm-hmm. i mean and, and it was almost like a badge of honor um and i look back now and i just think well i was afraid yeah. of being vulnerable. Absolutely right. And that, afraid of being joyful. She calls that your armor. And um, yeah, totally. I just went to her national training. I think you know this because we're yeah. in a little group together. And her whole, I'm so excited about this work. Her whole work is, is around this metaphor of the arena. And, you know, we go into the arena and we wear armor. And for everybody, it might look a little bit different, but typically it's like you just said, like sarcasm and cynicism, um, people pleasing, perfectionism, control, foreboding mm-hmm. joy. Like these are all things that, you know, we armor up before we go out on the, into the arena because 
it is scary as hell to go out there. And she has this yeah. whole metaphor about who's in the cheap seats. Um, you know, those are like the anonymous people, the critics, yeah. um, the, the box seats. And uh, it's fascinating work. And I will link yeah. to that in the show notes to, uh, to her books, uh, your kick-ass life forward slash 38. And I did not expect that we would talk about this the entire episode. Cause I had other people <laughs> that I wanted to ask you about, but I think yeah. my listeners are so curious about this. I just, I want to ask you one, one more thing, a little bit off topic before we, before we close it up. And that's about boundaries because mm. I think, you know, boundaries, it's like, I say the word and I feel like this collective, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's kind and, of become a, almost like a cliche. Oh, let's talk about my boundaries. Yeah. Let's talk about self-help and personal yeah. development. It's like, yeah. it goes hand in hand, right? Yeah. Like, I, 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 it kind of makes me gag a little bit. They too. need a better yeah. word for it. We totally do. Can we yeah. change it? I mean, and while we're at it, we need a better word for blog because that's yes. always just sounded like snot to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. But yes, boundaries, boundaries. Boundaries. And, and I know, I, I feel like a lot of my listeners struggle with that for various reasons, but one of them being is that nice people, like nice women don't set strong boundaries. And that, mm -hmm. it also goes along with people pleasing. So can you give us your best tips on on boundary setting, you know, what would someone who is very new to this do in their life to start? Well, you know, I think that part of the problem I have with boundaries is that I think it's had really bad press and it's been delivered really badly as well. Um, the way I see people teaching boundaries, I, um, I kind of shy away from. So um, I consider myself to be quite a nice person and I have very, very strong boundaries. But the way I um, see boundaries is that it's nothing, it's nothing to do with anyone else. So for me, a boundary is a decision I make to take care of me um, in any given situation. So if a boundary is crossed for me, um, it's got nothing to do with the other person because I think that ends up in ultimatums or manipulation, right? So when mm. we say, well, you've got to do this or I'm going to do that, it's kind of like whoa, hang on, that's the bit where it feels really unkind and, un and icky. Um, whereas for me, it's like, oh, okay, no, you've decided to do that. Well, that's cool. You get to do that. I'm just going to do this, hmm. right? So I'm just going to take care of me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I, whatever I need to do to take care of me. Um, and I guess like a good example of this is um, I have a friend who is um, – she, she and this is kind of her story, so I'm just thinking about how best to explain this. But um, she is uh, unable to say no, like to anybody. Like to her, if you say no, um, it's like you are being completely rude and you are risking being unliked. Mm -hmm. And so when we looked at like what her boundaries were, she didn't have any really. Like she was perfectly happy to go along with what anyone else thought and wanted to do and when we looked at how she could best take care of herself she found that actually learning to say no was not about saying no to other people it was about saying yes to what she wanted mm -hmm. and so um, she had a lot of friends that were kind of party people and that was not a life that she felt comfortable in anymore and she wanted to kind of remove herself from and part of our work was about looking at what she was prepared to um what she was prepared to do for herself so her boundaries ended up being things like um 
I'm, I'm not going to come out with you guys tonight and I want you to have the best time and I would love to see you another time. It, it was really simple, simple stuff. It wasn't a judgment on them. It wasn't anything to do with changing their behavior. It was simply about saying, you guys get to do whatever the hell you want. I'm just going to take care of me. Hmm. And so her boundaries ended up being quite sort of quiet quite kind, very much about her, never about anyone else. And I think that those kind of boundaries are the ones that feel much more authentic to us. Because when we make it about the other person changing their behavior, we're just giving the power to them. Right. We're making it about what they mm. wanted. So she could have said, okay, you guys, um, we've, we've been out drinking for the last three weekends. This weekend, you know, I, I'm putting a boundary around it and I want us to kind of come around to my house and watch a DVD or something. And that would have required her friends to completely change their plans and their behavior and what have you. And it would have felt uncomfortable for her. But just by saying, you guys get to do whatever you want, I'm just going to do this. It's a way of making it not about them, not about the other person. Um, and I think there's something about being willing to enforce your boundaries, like just being willing to hold to them is actually about honoring yourself. You know, it's about mm -hmm. really knowing that you have to have your own back. Yeah. You, know, you, you are, and what we were talking about before, you are your own sacred responsibility. And if you are going to um, compromise yourself all the time, go along with what everyone else thinks and never act for yourself, you're kind of pretending. You're not showing yeah. them who you really are, mm -hmm. right? You're just, you become a sort of facsimile of who you are. Um, and that's, that never feels good. Mm -hmm. Never feels good. And I think there's something just really powerful about, um, about knowing that whatever happens and people are going to come into your life and go out of your life, that your job is to like you. That's your only job. Yeah. It, that's your only job. It's no one else's job to like you. And when you get comfortable with being willing to feel every emotion, Right, good and bad. When you can be comfortable with that, when you can sit with the discomfort of having pissed someone off or having said something that might have hurt someone else, having risked being unlikable, it's like when you can really kind of own those things about yourself, the whole world opens up for you because you're not afraid of anything. Yeah. I love that you said the last part too, um, you know, about, about holding on to... I forget how you worded it, but just basically, um, I think that what might happen is that while I'm like, yeah, fist pump, you know, set boundaries, uh, what can happen and what I think is common is that you are going to get pushback from the mm -hmm. people that you're setting the boundaries with. And I think yeah. that that's where some people crumble yeah. uh, and they feel like, oh my God, I've pissed this person off. And a lot of people that have trouble setting boundaries are often people pleasers. Yeah. And, uh, that's where I think having some kind of accountability can be really helpful, whether it's with a therapist or a coach or even like a trusted friend or counselor or someone, because if you're in there all alone, it, it's some, it's scary shit to do it anyway. But then if you set a boundary and you're all excited and proud of yourself, and then you get pushback from the people that you're setting the boundaries with and they don't like it, it can be really devastating. So yeah. the prescription for me, I make up <laughs> Is that if you are listening and, and you're wanting to set boundaries, is that get some um, get some support there because yeah, it, it can it's big work, but it's so important. It's so important. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I think that the thing about um, boundaries is that it can feel like you're saying the worst thing in the world. It can feel, we make, we make it mean when we take care of ourselves, we make it mean like we are being selfish and Mm -hmm. we are being um, bitchy, that it's, it's actually really unkind. It's uncomfortable. And, and really all we're, all we're doing is looking after our own, our own needs. Right. And then that would be a really great opportunity to work on your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) See what I did there? Yeah. (laughs) Full circle. Did you see how I did that? (laughs) Oh, well, good. That is actually um, great advice. Thank you so much. And can you tell our listeners where they can find you and any goodies you have on your website that you want them to, to have in their hot little hands or hot little computers? Yeah, sure. Um, so I have a freebie on my site, which is um, a, a major mixtape, and it's a, a series of um, of guided meditations that I've created. Um, I think there's something really cool that happens when you get into um, what the the um, neuro nerds would call a gamma state. So when you can still your mind and in a meditative state, you can bypass all of the crappy negative thoughts that you're thinking. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why um, you have good dreams. So mm-hmm. I've created a series of guided meditations, which are, are really about just kind of starting to get to know who is underneath all those thoughts, um, right. which is, which is cool. And lots of people seem to enjoy that. Um, and coming up in the next few weeks, myself and my, um, my bestie, Meg Genge, who is a, a writer and is also um, co-hosting a retreat with me in the next few weeks. Um, we are getting together with um, about 20 other awesome women from the internet, who some of you will know, to create a, um, a free gift just leading up to the holiday season, which we'll be um, launching on my site in, um, in the next few weeks. So look out for that. Thank you. And it's at sasspetherick.com. You guys go to your kickass life forward slash three eight and all the links will be there directly to her site. And, uh, thank you again so much for being here. It's been so great. Yeah. All right, everyone. Um, that's it for today's episode and I will see you next time for episode 39. In the meantime, keep kicking ass and I will see you in the internets and cyberspace. Bye.